podcast in the Bova News podcast series. I'm your host, Kim Bremer, and today we're excited to be joined by one of the leading animal welfare experts in the dairy industry, Dr. Jennifer Walker, who's the director of milk quality and cow champion at Danone. Welcome, Jen. Uh, good day. Thanks for having me here. Happy to be here. So can you just start with giving us a background on yourself and your role that you currently have? For sure. Um, so yes, my, my training, my formal training is uh, as a veterinarian. Uh, uh, went to school at UC Davis for my undergrad and, and veterinary school. So go Ags, UC Davis. Spent five years in my home state of California uh, practicing as a dairy practitioner and then went on to Ohio State for a PhD in essentially epidemiology and utter health. Um, and I followed that up with a master's in animal welfare and ethics policy and law. Um, I worked at Dean Foods for about eight years where I was responsible for developing and, and then managing their animal welfare program. And I joined Denone North America in 2018 as their director of milk quality and currently um, director of quality and care uh, at Denone North America, which essentially means I manage uh, DNA's milk quality and animal welfare program from farm to factory gate for the farms that are in our, our network um, in uh, North America. So what does it mean to be a cow champion? Ah, uh, it's our Northern star. It's, it's sort of my term of affection and endearment, I think, uh, for my teams and my small but mighty team and the other folks that work with us um, on and around farm and within our program. Um, you know, when folks ask me um, what, what I do, um, my cliff note version is that, you know, I simply say, you know, we work with farmers to try to make sure the cows are happy and, and milk is awesome. And, and being a cow champion is part of that, um, to champion the cow, to be their advocate. Um, we really work hard to put the cow at the center of what we do in quality and care. And we look for ways to help farmers find ways within, within their individual system to create an environment where cows can thrive. And so that to me is the essence of being a cow champion. And I just, I just feel lucky that I have a I get to work with a, a team of a small but mighty team of champions um, when it comes to, to cows. Now, you're one of the leading animal welfare experts in the country. As you look at dairy operations around the country, how well would you say dairy producers are doing with regard to animal welfare? You know, that that is a hard one. Um, and not because we're not doing well. Um, uh, and, and not because farmers aren't out there trying and, and doing their, their level best. But it's hard because I think our understanding of animal welfare continues to grow and we're, and we're moving beyond thinking of welfare in, in those simple terms um, of clean, dry, and comfortable um, and, and really starting to think of animal welfare in terms of what some would call a, a quality of life or what I would call life worth living. And, and so that's where I think we, we probably haven't been thinking ahead enough. We haven't really been looking to that. We've really focused on this. What I kind of summarize is that sort of, is she clean, dry, and comfortable? You know, that, that the health, if we think of animal welfare um, in those circles of sort of the, 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 their physical health, um, and we haven't really unpacked much beyond that. And, and so that's where I think we have, a, we have a long way to go and a, a lot of great opportunity. And how have things changed over time, for better or worse? Uh, you have a long history uh, going back to even Dean Foods. So what has changed the most over time? Um, I think that the change, I mean, I, so we're, we're, we are doing better, I think. 
you know, there's you you can unpack it to some simple things and, and track changes, right? So so in the very basic level, if we look at tail docking, right? We we it took us a long time to align on that as a dairy industry finally kind of got over that hump, you know, very few farms are tail docking out there because it's, it's simply not allowed in, in the supply chain for, for the most part. Um, so there's those kinds of changes that we'll continue to track over time and in improvements and, and whether it's, in, you know, those, those simple physical outcomes of, of lameness and things like that. Um, but I think, I think we're starting to, again, um, look, look more holistically at animal welfare. And, and as a result, when we, when we get into the farm and we start kind of turning over these stones that we hadn't before, we, we do realize that there's more work to do. Um, and so I think if you take the, the farm program as an example, which is our sort of national standard in the US, it has changed a lot since 2010 when I, when I was first introduced to it. Um, and I think it's important to, to remember that because we're always changing and there's so much that's changing. Um, and we are working at this one farm at a time, um, working on one thing at a time with a farm. Um, and there is, and so there's, there's a whole lot of good um, that we've made better. So it's hard to kind of highlight maybe one thing. There's a whole lot of good that we make, make better on farms, one farm at a time. And there's, and there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, there's, there's no, no denying that. Um, but I think it's reflective of, of just life for everybody in, in that, in that way. Um, you know, I always, I always have loved and, and quoted Maya Angelou's um, work. And she said, you know, you do the best you can until you know better. And I think our role in the industry is, is the key is that once you know better, we need to do better. And so um, I think, I think looking at that, um, you know, beyond those, the, the big things like where we've, it's been the mandate of, you know, tail docking and things like that. I think we've started to do better on, you know, thinking of social housing for calves, like that's slowly being adopted on farms, which is exciting to see, but it's a one farm at a time thing. It's, it's nothing that we're going to mandate, you know, as a thou shalt, because every farm needs to figure out how to adopt and adapt these practices, um, feeding calves more. That's, I think, a huge change that we've seen um, in the last few years where we've, we've called out that historically we've underfed calves. Um, and, and so we're seeing more and more farms adopt better feeding practices. Um, and they're seeing the benefits of it, which is great. Um, but there's just an inherent benefit to the calves to, to, be, to be fed to their actual uh, you know, uh, requirements and needs. And so um, lots of good changes. But I, I think that the important part um, is, is that it really is a one farm at a time thing. I, you know, I, I have talked with folks who, who, who want to see broad adoption of certain practices. And I get that. Um, but I think we need to, to understand how change translates to the farm level. And that's one farm at a time. So it's not just about adoption. It's about helping adaptation right so 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 we have to be we have to understand that because the last thing we want to do is have a have an idea about what's ideal and and have a farm adopt it and then have that fail right because that wasn't the intent the intent was always to, to make uh and improve the lives of, of, of cattle and production systems and so so that's where i think we just need to be mindful but so so 
all in all, I think I think we're 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 seeing a ton of change, um, but it's a little different at each farm, depending on kind of what corner you peek around and and what kind of stone you turn over. So. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head too, that there's there's always room for improvement. And I think everyone can agree that the success of the continual success of the dairy industry relies heavily on continual improvements over time across the board. Uh, do you see any mandates coming? Uh, you know, that's a, that's, it's an interesting one. Um, I, I see some talk out there, right? So you know, we've had a couple of states, you know, Colorado had an interesting sort of, uh, you know, potential legislative action out there. Now Oregon's talking about one. Um, I don't know that those are going to really carry through or really catch on. I think where we're seeing the potential for mandates are really from the supply chain, you know, and again, we had tail docking was one and done. That's, that's, we've kind of dealt with that. Um, I think we're hearing more if I if I if I look at what I'm hearing from customers and, and things that I see, right? So I can I can I hear you know questions about tie stalls, right? So so are are is there gonna be a mandate that there's no tie stalls? I don't know. Um, because again, that's about a transition. How do we, you know, how do how do farms build new facilities? Do they have the room? And and so I think um, you know, there's there's some competing interests at play there. If you, if you look at where all the tie stalls tend to be, those are all fairly small farms in, in certain geographies. And, and I think there'd be an equal amount of pushback um, if, if all of a sudden we said, well, we're just not going to buy milk from those farms. Right. So I think that's where there's this balance and that's where, you know, the, the mandate around tail docking was pretty low hanging fruit, to be honest. And I, I think now we're moving forward to um, some, some more complex you know, interdependencies within the dairy industry to understand, you know, what are we trying to get at? Um, and, and what are we trying to accomplish? And that's why I don't think th those mandates are going to, aren't very helpful, you know, um, you know, simply mandating no tail docking. Uh, RBST was probably the one before that, right? So, um, um, but the other ones become so interdependent on what we do on the farm, it's, it's hard to tease some of those things apart. So, so that's where I, I hope where we hear folks concern about certain things, certain practices, um, there's a chance for us to work with them in the industry to have a healthy conversation to say, what does success look like? And, and is it a mandate um, or is it, again, developing different definitions of success and how we get there? You know, I think... Um, when we look at painful, painful procedures, dehorning is one of them, right? So, so we can, we can start doing things like mandating they're done. It's done before a certain age. Um, we can mandate pain control. Um, and so, so I think there's some room for that, but I still think leaving room for farmers to find that path of, you know, what does success look like for them is, is really essential. Um, to do that because I, I there's very few things that I feel like there's one solid you know thou shalt do it this way um, um, but I think thou shalt do it better <laughs> is the key um, and so I, I think that's part of the challenge um, and I, hopefully again if we have an open line of communications with our consumers and our customers and and 
find a way forward that we all we all want to achieve the same thing in the end. Um, how we get there may look a little different, but but I think we all we all want to do better for the cow, and and that if we kind of keep that as our northern star, then then we'll get there. Can you give just a little perspective on how much this uh, th this discussion occurs with suppliers today? Because I know in talking to dairy farmers, uh, there is some frustration a lot of the time. Uh, you know, where is this coming from? There's this fear of upcoming mandates. Uh, what what is going to be enough? Uh, those types of conversations that happen now, whether they actually come to fruition or not, is another story. You alluded to Colorado, but how big of a deal is this to your suppliers? Yeah, no, it's big. Um, I think we tend to probably um, maybe inflate it in some ways. And then at the same time, you know, we don't give it enough credit in others, right? So I, I've, I've long been a critic of our industry about kind of saying, you know, um, sort of that old, trust me, I'm a doctor, right? I'm, I'm the farmer. You don't, you just don't understand, right? That was always, you just don't understand. And there was a long time, I think, where the industry had this habit of, you know, mentioning only, you know, 5%, what is it, 0.1% or whatever the percentage that, that works in agriculture, right? So only, you know, 1% of the people produce all the food. Um, so there was this tendency for us to, to want to say, or give the impression that we know better, right? Um, or because you're not involved in agriculture, you don't have a say. Um, and I think, I think the industry is starting to realize that, you know, it's, it's perfectly fine for people who have little to no understanding of what we do to have an opinion and, and an interest in how we go about doing it. And we're not unique in that. And so, um, you know, I, I, I always kind of go back to, to, I use my dad as an example often. Um, he's an airline mechanic by trade. Um, he, he worked his entire life for an airline. You know, we as customers, you know, a, a small percentage of people actually work for airlines, but yet, yet all of us have an expectation of how they function, right, and operate their, their companies safely. Um, and so, and, and that goes through to many industries, you know, we're not the only ones that have a fairly small percentage of people, you know, um, um, in an individual sort of profession or industry. So, um, I think that's probably the key for us to understand is that I think what is not going to work is saying, we know better. I got this. You, you can't tell us how to do this. You just don't understand. Um, what we have to do is work with work with all these folks and listen. And and I can tell you that I listen. So we have we have conversations with customers and consumers. Um, and tell me tell me what concerns you about that. And and sometimes the reality is I, I don't really have a great answer today. Um, if we talk if we look at some of their concerns regarding cow calf separation, um, I don't have a great answer. And, and, you know, for the long, longest time, the, the industry has said, like, we have, you know, we do it for a reason. And we said we had good science behind it. The reality is there's not a lot of hard science behind it. Um, uh, there's, there's logistical reasons we separate the, cow, the calf from the cow at, at birth. Um, and, and it makes it easier for us to manage. There's, there's, lots, of, there's lots of reasons we do it. Um, but we have to be willing to say, I don't, 
could we do it differently? I don't know. Um, and if, if we just, I think what we need to learn as an industry, if we just dismiss it, if we dismiss a concern, then, then it usually comes back to bite us. If we look at it and say, yeah, I get it. I, I understand why that would concern you. And I don't have an answer today for how that's going to look in the future, but we need to consider it and we need to consider how we could do it differently um, and start looking for solutions down the road for other things that come up, right? And so um, those are the kind of conversations I have with both consumers, you know, whether I'm just sitting to them, when we used to fly on planes a lot, when we used to sit to next on a plane um, or our customers and helping them understand why, because some of them will ask like, you know, we don't, we don't want this or we don't want that. And if you ask like why, and you kind of explain the supply chain um, and, and how it all functions and how we, we do have some limitations of where milk moves and how it moves. Can we segregate milk? And um, some of that will come down to, you know, are you willing to pay for it? You know, we, we can have customers, you know, they can ask us for all kinds of things and, and, you know, we're, we're in the customer service business. If they if, if they're willing to pay for it, I'm sure we can, we can figure out a way to do it. Um, and so it's it's part of that idea too of of then constructing where values meet value, right? And and there's a lot of folks who who express their values when it comes to certain things. But you know the, the challenge that we've seen is is that when it comes down to sort of the brass tacks of people paying at the checkout counter, it doesn't always follow through. Um, and so that's where, you know, again, I think just having open, honest conversations about what do you want? What's important? What does success look like? How does it impact the business? How does it impact, you know, how farmers work and what they do? And is it going to drive costs into the business? And if so, who absorbs that cost? Um, and, and then go from there. But, you know, I, I hope farmers don't think, you know, we get one, cranky email from somebody and we, you know, lurch to the right, left or whatever, you know, it's, it's certainly not, it's certainly not like that in my experience because we have such a complex industry. Um, we, we can't just, um, you know, move that, that, that easily. So, um, I hope producers understand we have, we have lots of healthy, <laughs> healthy discussion, um, with, with the, with the consumers, but you know, the reality is there's, there's competition out there with other milks. Right and other, other, other fluid uh, drinks um, that are are becoming you know more mainstream um, that taste better than they did you know 15 years ago. So um, and they're and the the pricing is competitive. So we also need to appreciate that as well um, that we're in a competitive market and people are willing to try. Um, new things and, and replace milk with other things, and so we can't we can't be um, dismissive of that either. We can't we can't kind of we can't make assumptions that that um, we have a secure sort of market base. So um, that's just the re that's the reality of of you know I think any any consumer business. Mm -hmm. That's true. Validation is often something that's needed to certify that animals are properly cared for. Uh, we know that the National Farm Program has been widely adopted in the industry. Are there opportunities for producers to go beyond that to further validate and confirm the animal care processes they go through? Um, there are, and and you know we're, we're working you know with with our program in Denona and quality and care. 
to, to, to build in like a more robust system and, and more transparency and that continues to grow. But, you know, when it comes to animal welfare, I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm not a fan of quote certifications. Um, I, I don't think they, they do, I don't think they do animal welfare justice, to be honest. Um, and I think they probably provide a false sense of security um, because checking in, you know, on a farm once a year, um, I don't, I don't think is, is, is probably what most folks think when it comes to animal welfare, um, where I think farms have the most opportunity, um, in that, in that validation is to do their own internal assessments. Um, I have, I have advocated for a long time that every farm, big or small, so it might be the farmer himself and a larger dairy, it might be a specific employee, but every farm should have a chief animal welfare officer. Um, and, and that, that person um, is that cow champion for the farm and, and, and to have regular internal assessments. So, so we shouldn't, I hope our farms don't think about them. And I know they don't, but you know, they, they shouldn't be just worried about when we show up to do an audit, right? They should, they should be looking, they should be looking at their farms every day through this lens of the cow through with a critical lens of what from this cow centric point of view is, is what they should do. And, and having internal assessments is part of that. And I don't mean they have to have a full on internal audit that they do, but there's a process. So is there, is there a, is there a, a regular practice of evaluating welfare of cows on the farm that might be through their, their, you know, maybe their herd veterinarian is their chief animal law officer. You know, maybe they have an employee dedicated to, to do that. Um, that's where I think there's not only just the, the greatest opportunity to, to be able to kind of uh, get to that trust but verify kind of thing, but to actually, you know, where the rubber meets the road and it creates this habit of thought. Because that's where I, I don't think we've, we've matured quite yet as an industry. Um, is that I think we're still talking about animal welfare as this thing that comes out from the outside in, right? They, they need to know about animal welfare. Um, um, it, it's creating this habit of thought on the farm. That's um, this cow-centric point of view that, again, what does the life worth living look like from the point of view of a cow? Um, and I think that's where instead of focusing on, you know, maximizing productivity or efficiency, we start talking about optimizing welfare and production and efficiency. And I, and I think when you embed animal welfare as just this habit of thought within a farm and you have internal assessments, that's where it's going to come to this nice intersection on the farm um, where it's, it reaches a more meaningful place than I think it is right now, which is about audits, right? And, and to me, audits and certification, that's just a tool. The audit just tells me where we need to go. And I, and I think we've probably invested way too much focus and on audits and we do them like, so we, we have a, the quality care program. It has an audit as the foundation, but, but we have a program. And so the, the audit is just the first step. The audit is the, the measuring stick and it tells us where do we need to go? Where do we need to focus? And it may be 10, 15 things, but we're going to pick two or three, right? So it's manageable. Um, and, and we're going to take this one thing at a time. And so, um, and that's about building this habit of thought. It's about changing hearts and minds um, and how we think about welfare. And that, that doesn't happen with a once a year visit from whoever, you know, auditing your farm. 
um, it, it's just about embedding it in, in, in the culture of farms. And I think a lot of farms will have me say that and say, well, you mean it's, it, this is a part of my culture. Of course I care about cows. I, I, we do every farmer. I, I have never met a farmer who doesn't care about his cows. Um, I think the challenge we have is what care looks like. Right. And I, and I think we're still probably, probably still thinking of a, you know, that clean, dry and comfortable cow, which is important, which is very important, but it's taking it to that next level of what is this, what is a life worth living look like? And, and that's, that's really starting to unpack the emotional lives of cows. What does it mean to have a life worth living? What does it mean to have a good life? Um, and I think there's more to it than just simply being clean, dry, and comfortable. And, and so trying to get there is, is where we start working with the farms to embed this, this again, this habit of, this habit of thought of thinking of welfare differently than I think we've, we've done before. Um, and, and, and so, so yeah, so certifications, they, I think they're, you know, opportunity for, for marketing, for niche, um, but but um, I think from a when the rubber meets the road, it's about sustained change and, and work within the farm to 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 like I said, to change hearts and minds is, is really what it's about, and and that happens one farm at a time, you know, um, and over over time, it's it's really an investment in working with the farm. As we wrap up today, just to wrap up a little bit, talking about Danone. How has Danone encouraged animal welfare practices for its producers? And then how have they reflected that through their brand? Good question. You know, we've, we've only just started our quality and care program. And um, so it's sort of in its just, you know, startup phase, I'll call it, I guess. Um, and, but, but we have, we've had support of the company um, through our regenerative um, ag uh, fund um, and the farms that we've audited so far, we've, we've given them, uh, a cow brush, right? And it seems like something simple. Um, but it again, reinforces that idea of that we, we care about the experiences of your cows on farm. And we want them to have these, these positive things, these positive experiences. And, and a brush seems like a simple thing, but if you've ever watched a cow brush video, um, those cows just, just love it. And, and so, um, that's where we're, we're trying to find sort of you, these ways where we can work with farms and, and provide sort of an introduction to these sorts of things on the farm. Um, whether it's, um, social housing and working with farms to again, adopt and adapt housing to allow for, for paired housing on the farms with calves or small group housing on the farms. Um, so, so I think we, we've stepped up in a, a, a really, um, a really positive way in partnering with the farms and helping them kind of find the solution. Again, we didn't, we're not coming in and saying thou shalt do X, Y, and Z, um, um, for that. Um, now how we, and now how we make hay with all that, you know, you know, I think we're still working on how do we, how do we talk about it? How do we share it? Um, yeah, that, I think that's going to come in the future as we kind of sort that out. Um, you know, I think like many companies, we, we have a habit of building, as they say, building a plane as we fly. So we get going <laughs> and then we, we start to figure out like, how are we going to share all this good stuff? So, so I don't know that I have a solid answer. Um, 
if anything from this from this chat, you've probably gathered like I'm not the communications expert, and you're probably thinking, why do they let her? Why do they let her outside? Um, but um, we are working on that. I think I think we'll that'll that'll come because um, the company has a lot going on with with regenerative agriculture practices, and and they you can see it on on some you know YouTube channels and and LinkedIn and, and stuff like that where they have put out wonderful um, kind of end of year. Uh, accomplishment videos about what they've done in that space uh, with our, 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 our soil health program, some amazing work uh, with that team. And so I think we'll, we'll figure out on the welfare side, you know, how we start putting together, cobbling together these, these great stories that we, as we work with, with the farms um, one at a time. I, I think I admit, I think our team is just focused on, very focused on the farm level, boots on the ground and with the farmer. Um, that I, I, I find myself having to remind them like, hey, could you go back and get a picture of that? <laughs> like, you know, great news, great update, but it'd be great to have a picture of that calf. You know, um, we, we handed out, we, we gave out jackets, uh, calf jackets to the farms um, uh, for winter. And um, again, it seems like a simple thing, but for me, it was that opportunity to reinforce to the farmer that bit of empathy um, with the calf, right? And so as we as as we work with farms, we we see other employees learn from how we treat other things. And so when they see us taking care of, of animals in a special way, they learn that, right? And, and that's where it develops that habit of thought. Um, what I what I like to call muscle memory in the in the in the that compassionate muscle um, in our in ourselves. Um, to, to do that so so that's where we've kind of focused on where are these little opportunities that we can we can get because we have a lot of farms to work with so so we we need to find ways that we can do something something a little bit with each farm and and that's where we've we've had these opportunities between the calf jackets and the, and the cow brushes um to do that well Thank you so much, Dr. Jen, for taking the time with us today. We appreciate it. And thanks for all you have done and continue to do to support the dairy industry. We appreciate your perspective and your expertise. And I look forward to continuing this discussion as your program evolves and grows. I don't think this will be the last time we hear from you. Thanks for having me. And this wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, follow us on various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. Be sure to check our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Kim Bremer, and from everyone here at Bova News, have a great day.